You're listening to Talking Creative, the podcast that helps voice directors, creatives, and production companies to make the most of their voice actors so they can create amazing content that everyone wants to hear. I'm Samantha Poffin, voice actor and director, and I know that directing voices can feel daunting and complicated. Where do I start? Should I just wing it? What if I say the wrong thing? I want to help you make sense of all that. If you make videos, ads, audiobooks, or anything with a voiceover, then this is the podcast for you. Ready to start talking creative? Then let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Talking Creative, the art of voiceover directing. Now, it can't have escaped your notice that it is September, or at least it's September at the point that I'm recording this intro. And it's the start of a new academic year in many, many places in the world. So it seemed to me to be the perfect time to talk about e-learning. And at the start of the summer, which seems a very long time ago now, <laughs> I chatted to Eleanor Hamilton from the UK-based company eLearning Voices. And I've been waiting for the perfect time to actually release this episode out into the world. And this seems to be a really good time. So if you work in e-learning, there is a huge amount of gold here in this little interview, but there's also stuff that's fascinating and very nickable, whatever part of the voiceover industry you work in. Because e-learning is something that almost everyone engages in at some level. You can think schools and students, but also training programs, courses, employee training, personal development. We're open to learning new skills online more now than ever before. So the e-learning industry has had to be at the forefront of finding new ways of reaching and engaging all kinds of different people all over the world. So it's a really rich, really forward-thinking niche. I used to think that it was really quite straightforward, quite traditional, but actually times are changing. And I really think that you'll enjoy this interview. I'm endlessly fascinated by the array of different kinds of voiceover genres there are, from animation to corporate narration, audiobooks to IVR, and everything in between. Voicing for e-learning is a very specific art and a booming industry. Today, we're talking to Eleanor Hamilton, Managing Director and Founder of e-learning Voices, a full audio production and voiceover service for the e-learning industry. Eleanor is also a voice actor with masses of experience, most famously as the voice of a number of London underground lines and an incredible story. Hello, Eleanor. Hello. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. What a, what a great introduction. I didn't realise I, um, I was so proficient. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a shock, isn't it, when you actually hear somebody talk about you? <laughs> so can, can you tell us a bit about, well, about yourself, but also the history of e-learning voices? How did that all start? Well, um, as you probably know, I was originally uh, part of a, a male and female voiceover combo. Um, so that was just me and my husband, Phil, working together in our own voiceover booth, much like probably 
every other voiceover in the country, although there's not too many voiceover couples that I know of. Um, there are a few. But, um, you know, we were just freelance voice artists like everybody else. And we bought the domain elearningvoices.co.uk years ago just as a kind of well, you know, why don't we just see if we if this might go somewhere? But we only ever intended for the two of us to be listed on it, really. It was just a, mm. another web domain for us to own. <laughs> um, so to be honest, didn't really do very much with it. And to I don't know whether you want the long story or the short story. Feel free well, to give put me this one out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in uh, in 2016, Phil passed away. Um, he he'd had had esophageal cancer for two years, and you know it was one of those where we we knew that he was dying. And bless him, he wanted to try to make sure that his clients were still looked after. He was you know he knew that he would be leaving me behind and our two little boys who were ten at the time. And I think he kind of felt like well, um, you know I. The, the things that you think about when you're dying, uh, you look back and you think, well, that wasn't relevant. Why, why did we even think that was a thing? But he was so keen that we would still have a business and um, a way of making money and a way of bringing in an income and stuff like that. So um, he kind of he gave me a list of all these different male voiceovers that would probably be a good fit for his voice and that could take over his work. <laughs> now, of course, <laughs> of course, you, you look back now and you think, oh, bless him, you know, yeah. well, but it, it seemed so sensible. And um, and that was OK. But of course, what happens is that people knowing that we were just a married couple working together, they were like, well, I can't really phone up his widow and say, do you know somebody that sounds a little bit like Phil? So they would just sort of go off and find their own people. Um, and with with limited, you know, some people got some some great clients I, I, um, and, and some great voices, but other people really, really struggled. And it probably took two or three years for people to come back to me and go, oh, you know, you said you might be able to find somebody that sounded a bit like Phil. <laughs> anyway, in the meantime, um, four months after Phil died, I got breast cancer and then was quite poorly myself. But being self-employed, we all know what it's like. It's like you, you can't not work. Um, so I ended up in a situation where I was kind of, you know, four months after my husband had died, was, was also sitting there with a bald head and, you know, the headphones <sighs> slipping off my head and a sick bowl at my side, sort of going through all this, this material. And, and kind of, in fairness, wanting to work because you know you need you you need something to keep you going yeah but ultimately i think that my experience made me go hang on a minute if i if phil's died if i die as well what is the for my boys there's, there's no they, they could literally be out on the streets so um Mm, I, I've got this um, e-learning voices domain. Um, I've got a lot of contacts. And also one of the, the things is that people love working with people. And I think that, that is a, that's a really key part of our business. But at the same time, um, if, say, for example, a voiceover isn't available because they're ill, um, it's not very easy for that voiceover to find somebody else to take over. But if you're under the kind of an umbrella of a company, um, it's a lot easier for clients to go, oh, this guy wasn't quite right for me. Could you find me somebody else? Or yeah. this guy isn't available. But it's it seems to have, it seems to have hit, hit struck a chord with people I think you know people kind of go yeah actually we, we need this and this is really useful and we've got some lovely clients that we have a wonderful relationship with and and do some really really interesting work lots of massive variety of work um but it's all excellent work it's it's good fun and it's 
yeah, I'm just I'm 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 glad it's gone this way. Yeah. So so the, in terms of the e-learning part of it, I mean, what drew you to e-learning particularly? Could you see that it was about to take off or no, no, uh, not necessarily. I mean, y- yes and no. I think it was it was simply um, an industry that we happen to have been quite busy in uh, over the last few years. You know, we were both doing a lot of health and safety, medical, everything seemed to be uh, sort of training based and educational based. So I, th- I think it, for us, it was just well, this is what we do the most of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, we, we both really enjoyed the, the commercial side of things, you know, hooking up with producers and doing, um, you know, radio commercials and TV commercials and stuff. But I don't think any voiceover is making their living doing that. If they are, they're, they're well, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I, I think whoever, everybody has their own niche, don't they? But it, it's never really been my niche. Um, it's something I do for fun, but I certainly couldn't rely on the income that I get from um, commercial radio. Um, and, and e-learning seems to be the, the industry that, that I've, I've found my niche in. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in terms of the, the, the e-learning voices, so you, you provide mm. an array of different voices. Do you, mm. do you get involved in crafting the courses as well? No, not really. We, we, we are given scripts and um, and asked to voice them. But what I like is the fact that we can quite often look at a script and find out the sort of thing they're looking for. And we can, because we try to behave a little bit like a family, um, we, we, we don't want to have a massive roster of voices because we want to be able to get to know all our voices and know what their specialisms are. Um, and we can quite often look at a script and go, yeah, I, I think so-and-so would be good for that. Um, and and usually we're right. Yeah. <laughs> you never yeah, yeah. know. Um, but but actually, all voiceovers have their own specialisms, and they really do. You know, we we've got voices who are we've got a couple of voices who are dyslexic, and they always say, "Well, we, we can't do long form narrations because we, it's just not something that we can nail." very quickly but they're brilliant for the shorter either character parts or the you know the the explainer videos and things like that everybody's got something that they're really really good at um and we tend to know you can't hear from a demo how good somebody is at certain things necessarily yeah um so so it's quite important to put the right person with the right script yeah no absolutely and that and i suppose knowing them if you if you if you've got quite a small pool of voices and you know them quite well you can see where they're you, you know uniquely uh, placed to actually add value yeah yeah and actually when we started we we only had about 12 voices and and probably only three or four people um you know originally it was me and and another guy who was who sounded a bit like phil i suppose and then it just kind of it grew a little bit and we had a, a female that was a bit deeper and smoother than me and that one that was a lot more um bright than me you know and so there was only a small number of of people and it just we we decided to redo the website because the feedback that we were getting was yeah it's great it's a really good idea but there's just not enough choice so clients think they want choice but actually they they tend to still stick with quite a small core once they've chosen that core i think they want a big pool of people to choose from and then they will choose maybe six or seven people that they use all the time well, I suppose that's because their, presumably their brand or their output suits a certain style. So once they've mm. found their style, then they can stick with that and be quite comfortable within exactly. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So are there, are there quite unique challenges with e-learning um, that are different from, say, standard corporate videos or other kinds of voicing? 
don't know. I mean, obviously, it's it's pretty important to get the um, get the material right, uh, as in you know, especially the the very very long sort of ten thousand word narrations about say maritime health and safety. If those aren't correct, it it could be a matter of life and death. So. there's actually quite a special type of artist that's able to not just read all this stuff in an in a nice voice but really understand what they're saying and convey it in a particular way um and i've often said that one of the key things that we look for when it comes to the long-form narration is we look for intellect more than we look for a nice voice so people who have been educated to a high level are people that do tend to understand this stuff very well because it isn't just talking it's it's teaching um and if the voiceover doesn't really understand what they're saying how can you expect the person who's listening to this stuff really take it in so you need to choose a voice that will actually engage them and not bore them to tears um, because by its very nature, a lot of this material is quite complex. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's, Absolutely. There's, there's a real skill to it. And and I tend to be able to tell on, on a, a fairly short demo whether somebody's really up to the task or not. Do you need any sort of background in education, do you think? Does, is that a useful thing to have or does it not matter? Not necessarily in education, um, but uh, uh, an in certain aspects of this industry, I think it's quite important to have been educated to a particular level, to, to degree level, certainly, um, simply because you're able to analyse text and, you know, get between the lines of what's being said and what's being spoken. But I just think that it it seems to me, as somebody that's been working in this industry for quite a while now, that um, the people who have have been incredibly well educated, seem to be the ones that really nail these scripts in a way that people who just have a nice voice haven't. You can just tell the difference sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I I don't think it, there's no one thing that you need to be an e-learning voiceover because every single um, genre is different. And there are some, we're working with some really exciting clients at the moment who are doing really tiny little snippets, you know, maybe 10 minutes or so of audio. And and it's it's the, the real basics of a particular subject like diversity and inclusion or, or uh, I'm trying to think what else we've, we've been doing recently. But, you know, they don't have to be long courses. They can just be really short and snappy. Yeah. And that's where maybe a lot of character performers would come in. Better. I mean, there's just so much variety in the training. That's what's so exciting, really, that there's, there's a bit of something for everyone. Yeah, yeah. It seems incredibly diverse in that sense. But on, mm. on a practical level, though, if somebody's looking for a voiceover, if, if, I, if I'm making uh, um, an e-learning um, course, what sort of stuff, what, what, what do I need to consider if I'm going out there and looking for a voice? It, I think it depends on the content that you're making. Um, and that's why Google is so hard, because if you just put male voiceover or whatever, you, you anything could come up. And some brilliant people come up and some not so brilliant people. But the, the difficulty is that when you are listening to people's demos, anybody could have a demo that's been produced by a professional in a professional studio and they've been directed through this demo. Well, if you if you have to be directed through a demo, in my view, that possibly means that you're not that good you know I, I don't know um so it's it's very hard for clients to tell I think um and sometimes you can strike lucky maybe 70% of the time a client would strike lucky um but we hear from a lot of people who say oh you so and so and you know their demo was brilliant but they just didn't quite nail the script. I mean, I, I w- I'm a big fan of clean feed and linking up that way because I think that for for to, to take that extra time to go through something especially with a new client i think is is 
you know, having resources like Clean Feed at your disposal, why wouldn't you link up with them and find out exactly what they want and record it with them there and then? Um, there's all sorts of ways that, to, to, to make the process easier for the client and the voice because sometimes the voiceover doesn't know either the you know if you just send a script a voiceover will look at it and do it their way and they'll probably do it very well in their way but it might not be what the client wants so we always say to the client give us as much direction as you can whatever you can think of you know even sort of underlying underlining words for emphasis or whatever just throw it at us because you cannot give us too much direction um, if you're not going to link up with us down the line because you can't or you don't want to, at least give us a clue, <laughs> you know, or or um, tell us a, a part of the demo that you particularly liked, and we'll we'll give you that a read in that style. Because of course, every every voiceover's demo has maybe three or four different styles, maybe more, um, to to show their versatility if they if they are versatile. Um, so th there's th there's a lot to get wrong as well if you're not careful. So if you're doing, because some e-learning courses, of course, are huge. Some of them, as you say, are, are sort of snippets or smaller and, and um, you know, so would require a different kind of approach. But if they're not directing whole sessions, which would be a mammoth task, typically, if you were doing a session, does the voiceover typically record by themselves and send it over? Or is there direction at the beginning, at least? Things work in different ways. So we have some clients that will offer direction on a separate sheet. They, you know, they'll send maybe a, a five thousand word script, and they'll put a whole load of pronunciations on the front sheet, and you know how many words per minute they want. And we love clients like that because you know it, it, they give us everything that we need. What we tend to do is we'll, especially if if a, so, a lot of our voices have certain clients that work with them a lot, so they'll they'll be really familiar with the material. Um, so, for example, if we had a client that um, uses two or three different voiceovers, they tend to know what to expect. Um, but the first few times that we record with them, quite often we'll go through it with them either down the line over Zoom or over Teams or whatever, just to make sure that they know kind of what they're doing. Um, and then we leave them to it on the whole. But what we always ask them for is, say, for example, the turnaround time is 48 hours from receipt of script to uh, delivery to the client, we will ask the voiceover to have it back to us as a raw file within 24 hours. And then the editor has time to edit it and then go back just in case they've spotted any corrections or pickups or, you know, because especially with a 5,000 word narration, every now and again, the wrong word slips out. It just happens. And this is why I'm a massive fan of using external editors, because you know that they will pick up on things that you have. If you are editing your own stuff, you're recording it and then you edit it, you might not necessarily know that you have, um, you've, you've made a mistake the first time around because you, you go a bit blind to it, I think. So we tend to put all our editing work with different editors depending on their own um, specialism. So we've got some, some editors that are really great with the maritime sector, some with the offshore energy sector, some who are, you know, much more proficient with children's animation and educational e-learning and that kind of thing, just so that they know that we sort of put each editor looks after their own client sort of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, so we have, it does. And yeah. yeah. So, so at each level, in fact, you're looking for people who really understand and get under the skin of the actual subject that they are voicing. Yeah. 
because yeah. the editor then gets to know the material so well that they will pick up on something that you know they, they might have done with a different voiceover before and go oh I remember doing that helicopter landing thing with somebody else and they actually it's this word you mispronounced it or whatever um, and that happens more than you might think and it's it just saves so much time going back and forth with the client because we want to be able to say to the client right there you go there's your finished audio and it's completely perfect and if it's not perfect we at least want to be able to know that the voiceover is available quickly from their home studio to correct it and that's why booking them in for to an external studio for an hour session that can be quite expensive but it's it can work against us depending on on the job so you say you've got a pool of voices are are some of them have some of them got different skills so for different kinds of e-learning yeah, I would say so. I think some people just specialise in certain areas beca- and, and because they're so familiar with that material, they end up almost doing that, not necessarily day in, day, day out. Most people have a few specialisms. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say that some voices really work a lot in, say, the automotive sector. So with the because there's quite a lot of gamification now, isn't there, and animation in, so it's completely different from, you imagine e-learning as being a sort of almost a narrative and with, uh, you know, press this here and, you know, just a single voice. But actually, if you're using multiple voices, do you ever do sessions where all the voices are on the same, are literally in the same room? Sometimes, well, at the moment during the pandemic, no, because they they can't be really. But quite, we have had lots of voices on one clean feed before. Yeah, that's what um, I meant. Recording yeah, together, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that can work quite well. What I love about it is every job is is completely different. So some people, some sometimes it's just a case of here's the script, that's the voice, that's the voice we always use. Can they record it, please? Can we have it back by Tuesday? And we go right, yep, nope, sorted. Um, and and it's as simple as that. And then other jobs are, you know, can we have fifteen different characters, but we've only got the budget for three different artists? Is there any chance that you can ask some of your character artists to to come? So we will do what we can to make sure that every client is looked after, but at the same time we still want to be able to pay the voices fairly. So. So we'll always sort of explain the concept of a minimum fee um, and make sure the voices are, are properly paid. But sometimes that can work really well. Yeah, yeah. So presumably if you're working with multiple voices who are in different studios, depending on where they are in the country and where they're... Is that a challenge as well in terms of smoothing out the audio and making sure that everything feels of a piece? Yeah, it can be. And that's again, that's where the editors come in um, and they're worth their weight in gold because then they can take all the raw audio. We always ask for raw, clean audio, straight out the mixer, don't put any compression on it whatsoever. And then we can add what we need to make sure that everybody sounds like they're in the same room. I mean, of course, when you, when you think about it, this has been going on for years anyway with um, radio commercials and TV commercials, you know, the, 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 the male and the female and having a conversation about the sofa shop down the road. They were never in the same room, <laughs> you know, not since about 1984 yeah, yeah. have they all been in the same room. So this this kind of stuff is not unusual to us. Um, and, and, and with good editing and, and good production, then there's no reason why they can't sound as if they're all in the same place. This is again why we have a a really rigorous selection process and we make sure that all the voiceovers that we don't know of um who have come to us and, and we kind of t- if we take them on we'll ask for a raw studio sample so that we know that they're it's almost like go and record something now from your studio and send it straight to us so we know a your studio is at home and, and you've got quick access to it um, and we want to know how it sounds when you've got no processing on it whatsoever actually talking about that um in terms of how people are working potentially from all over the place has the pandemic did the pandemic change anything for you in terms of working it did um but it f- for us in a in a positive way and and I f- it always feels like a weird thing 
to say that because I know how much the pandemic has affected so many people and, and including us, you know, everybody's been affected by it in, in their own way. But from from a, certainly from a business perspective, given what we do, clearly the e-learning industry has, has boomed quite a lot simply because people are having to learn in a different way and learn from home and learn on uh, remotely. Um, and clearly all of that content needed to be voiced. So it has had a positive impact on our business. But yeah, I, th I think it, it became something that a lot of clients realised that they needed when they hadn't hitherto used home-based voiceovers. They'd maybe always gone to a studio or, or always had the client and the voiceover and the studio all there in the same place. They couldn't do that anymore. And it was like, oh, what do we do now? And in fact, the, there was a solution. There always had been a solution. Um, and we are, we're finding now that because our clients are aware that this service is available, they're not sort of just doing one narrator, um, a, a programme with one narrator. It's like, oh, can you find us somebody from Japan and somebody from, um, you know, from R Romania? Or... And the the thing is that you've got to make sure that because a lot of our voice, that our voices are full time and home based. So nobody can make a living doing a, a few lines for e-learning. But if there's enough of that content coming through, then it's it is a viable option for them. Um, there are so many different voiceovers out there and so many different characters and so many different accents. Um, the, the, there are a lot of people out there making a living and, and working full time from home at it. And so those are the people that we're looking for because we, we can't really use somebody that doesn't work in this industry full time, clearly, because we need to be able to sort of get them to record straight away. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's there's a lot more content being created knowing that whatever voice you need they're out there somewhere. Well, I was going to say actually, because and also there's a whole, the whole world has become smaller in terms of in terms of our business, in terms of voiceover business, mm. and also at the same time as the world becoming smaller and people being, you know, it's easier to get hold of people. There's there's a whole other raft of the need to be inclusive and the need for diversity. So that's all sort of growing up alongside mm. it, yes. um, in a serendipitous way, I suppose. Mm. Um, and have you found that? those two things working together have made a big difference to what you can actually do and the type of voices you can tap into. Yeah, and, and what, something that we're we're also finding is something which I'm probably, I'm, I am embarrassed to say, I think most of us, is have, the voiceover industry over the last 20 years or so has been a very sort of white middle class industry. Um, and over the last few years, clearly clients want a, a much more diverse cast of voices so the person behind the voice has to be from that ethnicity which is absolutely 100% the right thing to do because their their um their workforce is a global workforce now so you're finding more and more that you you're you're not just speaking to people in one office you're making programs that everybody across the company will see and there'll be people in i don't know Basingstoke and people in Mumbai and people in Dallas all working for the same company and all needing somebody on screen or some voice that's going to represent them and, and it doesn't matter which voice you pick you know, if you you picked an accent from any one of those places, it wouldn't represent the other two places. So what we're finding is there's a bit of a mixture now. And that's nice. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and presumably because there's this whole blended learning sort of approach. So there's more opportunity with blended learning to be able to get in all those different kinds of voices. Because if you've got a bit of animation in there, if you've got a bit of, you know, sort of traditional voiceover stuff, if you've got a bit of gamification in there, if you've got all mm. these different elements in there, there's more opportunity to 
reflect your whole workforce. Yes, I think there is. And and that's what's so brilliant about it. And I think that when you think about, you know, when you went to school, you wouldn't spend your entire time in one classroom with one teacher teaching at you. You'd have a bit of a, a bit of variety. You'd have a bit of a drama class or you'd go and do some science experiments or, you know, learning is successful when there is so much, when there is variety, because then you get the chance for everybody to absorb it. You know, not everybody absorbs by just watching a screen or reading a book. Um, in fact, a lot of people do switch off if they have to read or listen. So um, so to be able to blend it in that way it can be incredibly successful for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, there are lots of different ways of people, le- you know, people learn in completely different ways. And there are meant to be about sort of seven different ways that people learn, um, which I think is fascinating because it means that the e-learning provider, as it were, the person that's creating the course has got to be thinking all the time, well, hold it, we, we can make it this way, but then that will only appeal to one kind of learner. So we need to be able to pull in all these different ways of engaging people. Yeah. If you're a teacher at the front of a class and you knew that this particular class was kind of heavily weighted towards people who didn't really, you know, didn't like being talked at, for example, um, then you would probably change your teaching style to reflect that. But you can't do that when it's a, a program on a computer because it's not really changeable in that sense, you know. that. So I think um, to, to create a whole package of different modules that could be used in different ways could be really helpful actually yeah with different with different voices in them so so mm. that, that and then that that yes that allows you to be fresh every time you come to this new voice so I can I can see how absolutely how that would work so that's amazing the yeah yeah I mean we actually encourage you're right there because we encourage clients especially the the clients that have these long narrations about health and safety we always encourage them to have more than one voice but also people just get bored with the same voice it's like if you read a book by the same author I've done this before where I've sort of devoured two or three books in one go by the same person and thought actually there are certain little things that they do that have begun to irritate me a little bit and every single voiceover has their own little vocal tick or you know we we, we all have something that is going to annoy somebody so if you mix it up a bit then I, I'm, I'm totally I think it's it's really important to only stick with maybe two or three if you're doing the long form narrations, because then those people can become absolute masters at it. Um, plus, it means that you're giving people a, a good amount of work and then therefore they're loyal to you. Um, but I think that to put all your eggs in one basket and give just the work to one voice means that you're you could end up being unstuck a bit further down the line. So do you deal with audio description? as well yeah a little yeah we we do have some um, pretty skilled audio describers um on the books and um and we've we've done a few audio description pieces for different companies um we we actually did one a, a tv program quite recently as well uh, where they wanted a particular type of voice that they, they couldn't find elsewhere um, and again because at the time we were in lockdown and they couldn't get somebody suitable into the studio that they would normally work from and they said have you got anybody that, that could do this and and they did and they were brilliant um and some of the people that we use are are really competent actual audio describers so they will watch it script it record it match it to time and 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 all of that and then sometimes we will find that audio description companies will send us a script send us the you know the, the exact timings and we will fit the audio into that and and that that can work quite well because because sometimes especially if it's quite a light 
uh, amount of AD, you don't necessarily want to have the voiceover sit there and watch six episodes of a programme and write it and then voice it. You can actually book them for an hour. If it's already scripted, you can book them for the hour um, and it can all be done within that hour. So that can work quite well. It's also where getting a, a specialist voice, a specialist voice may not be the writer. Well, they're not. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, there are, sometimes it's it's almost best to stick with what you're good at, which is, you know, a lot of the people who write for AD are, are so skilled at it and they know exactly what what's needed. But if they don't voice or they can't voice or they don't want to voice, um, you know, clearly there's a there's a pretty big skill in voicing, too. So to, to combine the two skills, it, it opens up so many doors. And it just means that because, again, people who are visually impaired, they don't just want to hear the same voice all the time on the television. They want to hear or, or the, the learning program that they, they, they deserve as much variety as the rest of us. So it's to, to open those doors and to make it possible for a whole range of voiceovers with a whole range of accents to um, to narrate their learning content or their um, TV program or what, whatever the, the, the content is. I think it's it's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I've become more and more aware of AD because I mean I used to work at Red B, so I was really aware of you know audio description stuff because they provided it for um, a lot of the TV programs. But I I didn't really listen to it because it wasn't my bit of the department. But my mother, who's hard of hearing, now I'm aware of it every time I go down to see her. I get AD on on TV programs, and what has impressed me is how far it's come actually over the years because now you're finding voices that are really feel, well, it's that delicate balance. On the one hand, they, they don't feel alien within the, um, often a drama, they don't feel alien within it. But at the same time, they're not so immersed that it feels as if it's part of the dialogue. It's a really kind of delicate balance of the two things, actually. Mm. But also AD, it's used in a different way now as well, isn't it? Yeah, so people will watch videos, but then carry on doing their cooking or or whatever it is that they're doing, but they can't look at the screen. So they will yeah. use AD just to sort of give them a bit of an extra, it's an extra pair of eyes, I suppose. Or when you're driving, maybe. Uh, the possibilities are endless. I think as long as you can't look at a screen, AD will always be important. But it's a far more complex genre, shall we say, um, e-learning than I at first would have assumed. If I think of e-learning, you think of it as being quite simple almost, like a, like a, the voiceover of an explainer video. But it's actually, there's so much more that's now pulled into it. I'm fascinated by it. There is. And, and actually, it hasn't always been like that. And I would say maybe 10 years ago when we bought the web domain, it, it really was just either short snippets of, of um, you know, MP3 files to go into a, a module. Um, it was always single voice narrator. There was nothing else going on. And now this just is brilliant. I, I can't imagine how far we've got to go with it. I don't, I don't think... There's a limit. I think the, the sky is the limit. <laughs> you know? no, it's true. So, I mean, in fact, on that point, what, what, where do you see the future of it? Well, uh, clients are already making VR. Um, so they're, they're, they're kind of, I mean, that's been going on for quite a while. But I think that the accessibility of VR headsets means, and I think you can even put them on your phone. Um, it means that it's just so much easier for clients to make much more interesting pieces of work like we've got one client who they were they had to go down a like a manhole I think to to rescue something or, or to change a bolt or, or whatever it was you know they, they, there were all sorts of things that they needed to do on a, on a health and safety 
program. So we were we not only sort of provided the voices of the different characters who were all down there, down this sewer doing what they had to do, but there were things like, um, you know, sound effects of drips and echoes. And yeah, I mean, for, for every industry and every application, there's a there's something to learn. And the easier you can make it for those people in your workforce to learn it and to understand it by doing it, by actually doing it as opposed to sitting in a classroom and sitting a test, um, you, you know, the, the more likely they are to, to engage with it, I think. So I, yeah, I, I think VR is, is definitely something that many people will do more and more of in, a, in, a le in terms of learning. Yeah, because it, it puts you in it, doesn't it? It yeah. literally puts you in the situation and presumably then they make choices and you're making all sorts of alternative narrative. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, and um, you can't go wrong. So you can try it over yeah. and over again until you get it right. What is exciting about e-learning is that you never know what's going to, what our clients are going to come up with next. And yeah. I think that that's really, really good fun to sort of see it firsthand. Um, that it's not just as simple as, right, we've just written a script, can you read it please, in your nice smooth voice. Yeah. It's, there's just so much more than that. It's, well, we've just got all these different characters and, and this person <laughs> from outer space. And do you, do you think that's something that you can do? We just kind of clap our hands and go, yes, great. Yeah. We're looking forward to this challenge. <laughs> so that's <laughs> so know? exciting from your point of view, actually, I would yeah. think, to actually create that, that whole soundscape, if you like, that, I mean, yeah. that's really interesting. It is. And, and do you know what? The thing that I love, because when, you know, I, I know that you come from a background of voicing as well. And I think that because when, when we're all self-employed and we live in our own little boxes and we look at social media and we go, oh, my God, they seem really busy and I, I can't work today. <laughs> you know, there's that kind of paranoia that comes with being um, freelance and it's it never really quite leaves you. But one of the things that I've noticed from a personal point of view is that I just love contacting people and going, oh, the client's chosen you. It's a wonderful feeling. It's just so great to be able to spread this work around people and to make sure that, you know, to, to, to give our clients a massive variety that they really like and then they're not bored with having the same voice, doing the same things all the time. Um, but also making sure that the, the, right, the right people in the industry are getting the work, as in the people that we know have invested so much time and so much effort into really being the best at what they do. Um, it's a joy to pass them work. I love it. Um, and and long may it continue. <laughs> yeah, and to absolutely, and to be on the edge of this, I, I you know, this industry looks the e-learning part of it looks as though it's just going to just expand exponentially, mm. which is really exciting, actually. From yeah, from your point of view, from everybody's point of view, really. So it's um, yeah, I think so, and I, I think that that you know, I have no doubt that clearly some of us are going to be losing work to um, to AI voices. Yeah, um, but not. But I think that the AI voices, certainly for the next 10 years or so, they're just not not good enough to really get the inflections and the pronunciations right that we need them to, to have. And they, they may be used here and there as little characters and stuff. But I think people more than ever because of the pandemic, they want to work with people. Yeah. And humans have never been more relevant. You know, human connection is so important. Yes. So I think that I, I, I simply can't. I'm not worried. No. I've not seen any evidence that we're going to be taken over by the robots. And I think that that human connection is something that voices clearly can add, which is so important to to keep that engagement. Yeah, I think I think that the the, the voiceover industry is still 
very much alive and kicking and um <laughs> I, I can't i can't see us having to hang up our mics just yet <laughs> <laughs> well on that note thank you so much and uh, it was you. great lovely lovely chatting to you about oh, lovely learning. chatting to you too <laughs> thank you <laughs> That was such a lovely, fun interview. And it's incredible how working with a company like eLearning Voices can really lift your own products because they've done all the hard work in terms of finding excellent voices and they really understand how to bring scripts to life for all kinds of audiences and learners. And all the details are in the show notes. So that's it for this episode of Talking Creative. Thank you so much for listening. Do connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram. Just search for Samantha Boffin, obviously, as that's my name, because I'm very, very easy to find. Until next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Talking Creative, the art of voiceover directing. If you enjoyed it, do leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share the episode on social media so other people like you can get the best out of their voice actors. And don't forget, you can head over to talkingcreative.co.uk for the whole series.